Hey there, everybody. Kevin here. Hope you are doing well. This is a, uh, a keynote that I delivered in, uh, I think it was February 21st of this year, 2018, and it was for Rhode Island College. It was part of a new initiative that they were doing called Majors Week. And so this was right in the middle of their week. It was a Wednesday afternoon. I went up there to Providence, Rhode Island. And a lot of what I talked about and tried to tailor to not only, you know, first year students, uh, especially this was a very, uh, wasn't just a liberal arts college, but uh, majority of the students there were probably kind of undetermined major. Uh, but there also were graduating seniors, graduate students. So I really kind of had a challenge of how to talk about finding your niche, both uh, inside of college as well as once you graduate. And kind of my big message here was, uh, you're not defined by your major, or you know, you're not defined by what you spent four, five, six years studying. And that's how I started this keynote. And this was a, uh, a little bit of a new an antidote or story that I shared that I really haven't shared personally or, or out to the public. Um, about my struggle. You know, a lot of people I think that, that follow me or maybe are listening know about kind of the last four or five, six years of my career working at Rutgers and when things started to, you know, happen for me and, and then I left to go work for my own and there's certainly been struggles and adversities I faced working for myself. But um, this talk specifically talks about in May of 2006 when I graduated, uh, I went a totally different path, and it's a story that uh, I, I quit graduate school. I was supposed to go to graduate school, uh, and, and I had a one full-time job lined up. I quit that, took another one for less money, but you'll hear the details uh, as we get into it. But I really think you'll enjoy it. It's about a 35, 40-minute keynote, and uh, it's some new insight, uh, but also some, some old stuff from, uh, from stories from the niche movement and from my book. So hope you really enjoy it, and uh, please share this. I think it's beneficial to like I said, not only college students that are figuring out their life or graduating soon, but I think this could be very relatable to some people in their uh, late 20s, early 30s that have been working for five to 10 years that feel a little bit stuck and figure out, you know, what did I just spend the last five or 10 years doing? So enjoy this keynote and I hope to uh, hear from you guys soon. Uh, so have a great day. Thanks for listening. You guys sent the benchmark, right? Right, right here is good. <laughs> All right, thank you so much for coming here, Kevin. The floor is yours. Thanks, Mike. Uh, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you guys for coming and indulging in uh, what I will tell you is going to be a great, great keynote here, and I've, I'm very excited and passionate about what I talk about. Uh, for me, I, you know, for me, it, was, it started in May of 2006 when I graduated college that I realized uh, I'm not going to be defined by my major and that I'm going to kind of take charge to redefine my story. Uh, see, when I graduated college, I had just signed on for another 18 months of a master's program, probably about another $20,000 to $30,000 of debt. Uh, I had also committed to an assistantship. Uh, this was all at my alma mater, Fairleigh Dickinson University, a small private school in New Jersey, a little bit similar uh, to this school. And at the time, I was interning for, with a PR company. See, my undergraduate degree was in marketing, so I thought, 
hey, the advice I was given for the last year was just go get a complimentary communications degree. You'll make more money, do great things, et cetera. So I went to my boss at the PR firm. I was like, kind of like raised my hand like, hey, I graduated. This is what I was supposed to do. Uh, now I want to work for you full time. What do you got? And he was like, okay, Kev, I love that you're doing a master's, but we're not going to help pay for it. And also, we're only going to pay you about $20,000. And I'm like, sure, let's go with it. None of this feels right at all. Considering uh, all my friends uh, that I went to high school with were, were getting a job of their dreams, making two, three, four times as much money as what I was just presented, uh, was presented in front of me. Even my girlfriend, Courtney, now wife, she was like, hey, I know I want to go into higher education. I'm going to go out to Pittsburgh. I just committed to a two-year program that's actually paid for. And I was like, everybody around me just figured, you know, I thought they figured out what they wanted to do. And so June turned into July, and I was going through the ropes uh, and through the, the, the kind of this mentality of like, I'll just do this. I'll commute an hour and a half from North Jersey to Central Jersey and back, make $20,000. In August, I will start my master's degree in communications. And then I had that epiphany moment, and I was like, this is when I'm going to redefine my career. I called out sick. Uh, I, I'm recording this, and I don't know if my former boss 12 years ago knows this, but I called out sick on a Wednesday. I'll never forget this vivid moment. It's a beautiful July day, very hot. Uh, my wife Courtney and I in her yellow lab, Bailey, drove into New York City, went to Central Park, laid down on the grass there, and I brought my resume. I didn't go job hopping there, but I, I looked at my resume, and I said, Courtney, none of this excites me. I need to change my narrative. And uh, we were talking, and what we're often told is put your internships and all your professional work experience at the top, right? And I followed that. And I was like, this doesn't, again, feel right. So what I did is I had all these little extracurricular things at the bottom of my resume, like president of marketing club, uh, founding member and leader of Habitat for Humanity trip, uh, programming committee, et cetera, et cetera, like just one-liners. And I said to myself, well, wait, I worked more hours, committed more time, made more sacrifices, raised more money, got more experience out of those four or five things than I did in any of these internships. So that's when I decided, let me flip my resume. I then decided to do whatever it took. I went to my boss the next day and basically gave my two, maybe three weeks notice and said, I'm going to quit my job. I'm going to quit and on enroll in this communications master's program and also let somebody down uh, as far as the assistantship goes. And this was very unconventional for what my parents taught me, what I did. You know, I remember the day I quit playing baseball after 10 years, and my dad was like, you shouldn't quit. And I was like, I don't want to do it. Um, so this was only the second time I ever quit anything. And that was kind of a turning point. And I remember that, that I went on that August. So I went six weeks without a job. So my friends and family were like, what are you doing? And that's when I landed a job uh, on a college campus, because I knew I wanted to be on a college campus. I applied to basically North Carolina, Boston was my target. Any school that will take me. And as Mike knows, and anybody else in education, to work in student affairs, you generally need a master's program. And I was like, just hire me. I'm an undergraduate degree in marketing. I know it doesn't make sense, but hire me. So I got a job offer at Centenary College. I basically got a job offer as director of recreation, but I was wearing the student leadership hat, the service learning hat. I did all these great things. And the kicker is I told you that the job I was offered originally was $20,000. I took a job for less money, $15,000. But it felt right. Uh, in turn, after the two, two and a half years, they actually paid for my master's. So in turn, it was the long run. And one of the reasons I'm standing up here today are, are this, is this collage of pictures. My first eight years, when I redefined my career and, and, not, you know, and not was defined by my major, I had a chance to influence and impact a handful of countless 
uh, young adults and student leaders. And so everything from service learning to working at Rutgers University for six years, doing special events, marketing, et cetera, uh, I was able to impact countless number of students. And that's what brings me here today. But there's something that happened. I was put in the right field and I felt good about my job in my 20s, but I saw all these students go the same direction that I went. 22, 23, 24, 25, I hate my life. Why am I going to more debt? Why do I work for the boss I work for? Why do I, I have the commute that I have? And that's why I started the niche movement and that's why I'm here today. And this statistic behind me is a very compelling stat that 85% of employees, not in the country here, but worldwide, do not feel engaged with their work. Can anybody say that at one point in their time they haven't felt engaged with their work or, or maybe with what they're doing? So this is an issue. This uh, kind of thing to end employment unhappiness is why I'm speaking today and what I want to talk about. This other thing is kind of the future of work. We talk about Gen Z, uh, millennials, et cetera. Sometimes they get a bad rap and I hate that. Uh, but I think we're, we're kind of going to this direction where 40% of the workforce in the next two years, almost half will live under this umbrella of gig economy, entrepreneurs, contractors, freelancers, et cetera. And so I think uh, traditional education sometimes may not set them up to realize that there's a little bit new style of working, whether it's work-life balance, flexible, contracted work, et cetera. Um, so this is uh, a big part of the work that I do. So I'm gonna officially kind of kick this off. This quote came right in front of me. So I wrote a book, The Niche Movement, The New Rules of Fire Career You Love. So I have three points I'm gonna pull from that book today. This is uh, what we started with though, was this girl, Nicole Paquant, she had just graduated American University in 2014. She was working with me and she's like, you know what, you're, you're onto something, Kevin. You, this all makes sense. She's like, because it wasn't for the last two years of her undergraduate degree, as well as her first year of professional life of not taking a traditional full-time job, she wouldn't realize what she hated and what she liked. She put herself in as many situations and as many opportunities and experiences as possible so she could realize these are the type of people I like working for, these are the type of uh, work environments I don't like, these are the experiences that I've loved, etc. And so there's a, a quote that I like to start out with is if you, if you don't, uh, how do you know what you want to do if you haven't figured out what you don't like to do? My big point here is to the college students in the room is that this time of your life, and, and not even not even just up until you graduate, but those first two to three years, you can really take control of your own destiny and, and kind of live what I talked about in the beginning of redefining your career and redefining uh, and not being stuck into what your major is. So the niche movement or niche movement, however you want to pronounce it, what does it mean to find your niche? There's, there's this whole discussion, topic, industry around follow your passion, uh, find your purpose, and you, you'll love what you do, right? And it's not that, that easy. So what does it mean to find your niche or your purpose or passion? Uh, the way that I've defined it is in three, three ways. So the first one here is when you feel like you are thriving. I don't often use the word success because I think success, again, is a loaded word. It can mean a lot to a lot of different people. So I use the word thriving. Anybody here uh, ever play an instrument or play a sport that came somewhat natural to you? Yeah, a little bit? So that feeling when something comes natural to you, you feel like you're thriving, uh, you feel successful, that's part one of this equation of how you know you're coming close to finding your niche. The second one, and this is such, so important, and I didn't realize this until I started doing interviews and research and, and talking with young professionals. So many of them will get hired in those first five years, say, hey, I, I've, I've attached myself to a company that I love, I, feel, I, I agree with their passion and mission, 
Others say, hey, I love my boss. But with oftentimes those first 6, 12, 18 months, they don't feel challenged. The you know, they can do an eight-hour day or 10-hour day of work in about four hours. And now all of a sudden, they're twiddling their thumbs, they're on Facebook, they're, they're creating side hustles, etc. And all of a sudden, they don't feel challenged. And, and, and I hate to see that because they might have found what they thrive at, but their work environment is not setting up to continue to grow and advance. And the last part of this is where you feel invincible. See, I grew up as an only child, very shy, and the narrative that was always put around me up until this day, I was just with family this week and like, oh, shy little Kevin, I can't believe like you're going to give a talk next week. And I'm like, yes, because I feel invincible. I can talk and I love talking about this. I can go do this and it feels like no one else is watching. And when you can kind of get into an environment when these three things start to, to, to go on the same, uh, you know, the three levels, that's when you, you come close to finding your niche or your passion. The one caveat that I will tell you, and by no means am I ever, I'm not trying to preach that you need to find a job you love day two out of college. This kind of formula, what I talk about here, is I think it's ever evolving. It comes and goes based on the, the work you're doing. It could come and go at a split of a, split of a second if your boss decides to leave and you work really well under that boss. Um, but these are the three things that you should kind of think about as you're trying to find your niche in a career that you love. So I share a little bit of my story. I think the best way that we can spend our time together <clears throat> this, uh, this afternoon is just I have a handful of stories that uh, some people may relate. So some people may not relate to me. That's awesome. Uh, but I, the first one that I want to start out with <clears throat> is this gentleman, Epa Rixey. Uh, I had a chance to connect with him through a friend of a friend when I was writing my book in 2014 and 15. Uh, and they said, Kev, you've got to talk to this guy, Epa. He kind of embodies what the niche community is about and what you're kind of researching and talking about. And so Epa's story is very type A. He grew up um, down south. He went to Vanderbilt University in Tennessee. And he uh, was one of those persons that just would immerse himself in any subject. So for three or four years, he immersed himself into engineering. At the same time, he was very analytical, very strategic. And he kind of decided that he would take his first little pivot. And instead of using an engineering degree, he would go on and work for a top three consulting firm. Believe it or not, he actually got that job, I think, the fall of his senior year. So the next like eight to nine months, he could just chill. Kind of right out of his classes, all his friends were worrying about getting jobs and going on interviews. Uh, but he was like, hey, I'm, I'm beelining it right to this consulting firm. Probably made a decent salary uh, as well. First year in, he got some good training, got some good experience. But uh, any of you that are familiar with kind of the consulting world is you often don't see projects and, and strategy and, and advice kind of come to life for whatever reason. And he started experiencing that at about a year and a half, two years in. And he's like, I really don't want to just be creating the strategy. I want to see these actually cross the finish line. And that's when he was like, he didn't feel challenged. And he was like, I'm going to learn everything there is to learn about craft beer, like down to the history. Uh, so far as where he got to connect with uh, the, the founder of Sam Adams Brewery right up here, about an hour north of here, uh, because he had some audacity and, and, and decided, hey, I'm going to talk and connect with anybody that can. What wound up happening was very interesting. So a lot of kind of top tier firms will say, we want you after two to three years to go do a three to six month externship. A couple reasons for that is one, that they can go out and get new skill sets. Two, they can go network. Three, they can kind of bring this new perspective back to their company. So they're still an employee of the firm, but they're going out and, and representing themselves at another place. So where do you think he tried to get into? Craft brewery, right? And he did whatever it took from East Coast to West Coast 
to a, where somebody from Laguanitas, I think it was a CFO, got a hand on his resume. He said, Epa, let's set up a call. He said, let's just do the interview now. This is Epa talking. So they did an interview over the phone. And they said, you know what? We really don't know what to do with you. We love your enthusiasm. You clearly understand craft beer. But like this engineering, consulting, strategy, mashup, externship, they haven't even heard of the word externship. They said, give us a few days. The founder of Lagunitas then calls back and says, um, Epa, I'm sorry to tell you, but we're not going to offer you this externship. We're not going to be able to do this. So for like three seconds, his heart dropped. Uh, and they said, but what we want to do is we want to hire you full time to be our chief beer marketing strategist. So basically be able to grow new markets. Uh, he works a lot on sustainability projects now. Uh, any of you that are familiar with craft beer, Lagunitas just got bought out officially, I think 100% from Heineken now. And he's been working there for about four or five years, wearing flannels to work, but also using a lot of what's up here. And he took his kind of mashup of engineering, history, consulting, strategy, and craft beer and merged it into this brand new career. Uh, I love it because I actually finally did get to meet him face to face back in May. And now Lagunitas is paying for him to go back to Cal Berkeley for an MBA, full ride. So this is one kind of story of career uh, transition. Some of you often, I, you know, I talk to a lot of young adults as well that are in three, five, six years of their career and they're like, well, I've, I've, I've gone so far down a rabbit hole, I don't know how to get out. This is the story of actually how you could get out. So what I want to do here is I have three kind of uh, rules slash ideals that will hopefully inspire some of you to start to realize that you're not defined by your major or uh, how to kind of recreate your story. So the first one I have here that I write about in my book is you got to know yourself, but also embrace who you are, whether it's the background you were brought up in, whether it's where you live, the education you have, or, or where you're trying to go. You, you got to find out what your top strengths are and what people think about you and how to utilize that. So for this first section, um, I often do this. This is more of a workshop based, but I'm going to kind of go through these questions. So any of you that are very serious of like, hey, I don't know myself. I want to figure out how to learn a little bit more about myself when I go to job search. These handful of questions uh, are three out of six that we often use, um, but we're going to kind of fly by them versus like doing step one, step two, step three. So the first one that I offer up to everybody is the thing about what motivates you. So this could be very simple. It could be, hey, I am motivated by money, purely money. I want to go make as much money as possible. Oftentimes with the, the, this, this generation, though, that's not the case. Some people might be motivated by work-life balance, flexible office, flexible working environments, working on multiple projects at, at the same time. You also might be motivated by being inspired by the mission uh, of the organization as well. But this first question is what I often say is, think about this, what motivates you? The second one are, what are three things that you would do for absolutely free? For me, you know, when I answer this question, when I talk about it, I would say, I would play golf for free all day, but golf is an expensive sport. Even though I played at a D3 college, I suck at it. I can't get paid for it. Um, I would walk dogs for free all day long. So if any of you have a dog and need a dog let out in a couple hours, I'll stop by. I didn't realize you could actually do make a living out of this until I moved to Washington, D.C., and my next-door neighbor makes a full like, salary off of it because there's so many dogs. Uh, but that's the second thing I would do for free. And the third thing that I would do for free, and now I'm actually doing it, is I love helping people find their digital story as well as kind of find a, a path to career happiness. And I've kind of figured out this is what I love doing. This is how I can make some uh, a living off of it. So for those of you that might be stuck or friends that you might know or colleagues that say, hey, Kevin said, what are three things you would do for free? Think about it. 
Oftentimes, the people that are stuck, they don't know where to begin. And so what I like to talk about here is a couple places to maybe start, get the juices flowing. Uh, the first one, as corny uh, as it sounds or high level as it sounds, I really think doing some type of reflection or journaling, listen, if you have time, once a week would be great. It could be in a book or in your iPhone. But I think at least once a month or once a semester, especially as college students, you want to look back. What did you learn? Who would you meet? What excited you? What did motivate you? I think it's very important to kind of journal that experience to figure out what were those moments, because four years can fly by very, very fast. The second and fourth one, Google searching and social media feeds. One of the advices Epa was given when he was stuck in this kind of phase was, Epa, what do you Google search? And if you look at his craft beer, Sam Adams, Lagunitas, Stone IPA, like all these things. And he was like, that's it. Uh, and the fourth one is, what are your social media feeds? Clearly, I know we were waiting around here, everybody's on their phone, but what YouTube videos are you watching? What Instagram accounts are you following? What, who are you engaging with on Twitter? What blogs are you reading? Um, listen, whether you're into makeup, travel, lifestyle, sports, whatever it might be, there's so many small little companies and media publications popping up that are looking for young talent like yourself. And the last one, like I mentioned with golf, is what are your hobbies? Or maybe where do you volunteer on the weekends? So those might be some ways that you can think about what are three things you could do for free so my whole point on this first one is you can probably go make a living out of that if you connect with the right people. And the last one for this is what do others say I'm good at? Uh, I think some of you might be in the student affairs career development world. I know Mike is and he might be familiar as well, but there's, there's uh, the Meyer Briggs, there's Strengths Quest, there's, there's all these ways to find what your traditional top five strengths are, personality traits, and those are great. Uh, I think some of the best kind of quick feedback and kind of it could be direct or indirect or t intangible or tangible, is what do others say I'm good at? And oftentimes you can go to your professor or advisor maybe and say, hey, you've known me for the last two, three, four years. What do you think I'm good at? Uh, also, if you're interning somewhere or working, asking your coworker or supervisor, say, hey, could we grab coffee next week? I'd love some feedback of how I'm doing, what you think I'm good at, et cetera. Give them a little bit of a heads up. Uh, and, and kind of poll five or six people, and you'll start to maybe find some personality traits. It could be as indirect as, hey, you're the one that comes in the office every morning with coffee and a smile on your face and you bring everybody together. It could be as a hard skills like, hey, you are great with Excel, great with graph design, whatever it might be. You start to learn a little bit more about yourself. Uh, second tip that I want to, uh, second idea that I like to talk about here is clearly uh, every second is changing, but the digital tools have changed the game. There's so many ways to go about job searching, let alone contacting somebody uh, through all these different platforms. So this part of the, the talk, um, I like to kind of talk about practical and tactical, how I can give you a little bit more actual advice rather than high level advice. Um, so another story that I like to share here is uh, realizing for especially college students in the room is there is no more gatekeepers. What I mean by that is whoever you want to get in touch with, there is a way to get in touch with them. It's how you creatively do it, professionally do it. Uh, I use the term often, professionally stalking. You know, how to do it without being completely overbearing or, or uh, annoying. It's a whole nother discussion, whole nother uh, workshop. Um, but there are no more gatekeepers. And so my little antidote and story to this is right here. 2014, it was a month after my wife and I moved to Washington, D.C. from New Jersey. Talk about a career change and pushing my comfort zone. I was just telling Mike I was like scared out of my mind, cooking and screaming, leaving New Jersey where I was born and raised. Uh, I was about two or three months away from finishing my book 
and I still needed somebody to be kind of the headline to write the forward, be a big, you know, kind of brand in it, because uh, I interviewed about 20 different people. And I saw this interview on NBC Nightly News uh, of Nancy Lyons. I'm not going to share the whole video, but I highly recommend Google searching her or Twitter searching her. And her whole feature was her little 70-person tech company in Minneapolis has won countless awards year after year of the best place to work. Uh, as far as where she has been invited to the White House uh, Workforce Committee, things like that, to kind of talk about this topic we're here talking about today. And this was a three-minute segment, but the one thing that stuck out that she said is, it's not about the free Coke, Coca-Cola, it's not about the slides in your office, it's about the leadership. Does the leadership make you feel good? Do you feel respected? It's not work about work-life balance, it's about life balance right now. And I turned to my wife, I, I rewinded this like six times, and my wife's sitting there, she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, she's going to be in my book. And my wife kind of, she's like, okay. And I went on my journey of professionally stalking her. I went to her website, couldn't find her, went to LinkedIn, knew that, that her generic message would get caught up, and then I found her on Twitter, and she was tweeting that day. So I went on to my niche movement account because it, it was kind of fit more of what she talked about. So this is now 45 minutes after her, her interview. I crafted this. Hey, Nancy Lyons, we love Mondays too. We'd love to interview you and Clockwork, that's the name of her company, for our upcoming book, hashtag love my job. Again, uh, this was all under an hour. She replied and said, okay, please do reach out, uh, perhaps via email. So from a national interview to about two hours later, I had this, this lady's attention. Now what I was going to do with it. So long story short is we spent, I think it was December 20th of 2014, we spent what was scheduled for a 30-minute call, we spent an hour. I got so much great content from her that I, uh, about a month later after the holidays, I said, hey, Nancy, do you mind like, writing the forward for this book? Can we use a lot of this? Can you put kind of a ribbon around this? She said, sure. The book came out uh, six months later. She shared this. She continues to still be a, a digital friend of mine. We have still have yet to meet face to face. And she then shared every, she shares everything that we do. And we talk probably twice or two or three times a year. What I didn't realize though is her foot, digital footprint, and again, this was like two years ago, was 20,000 uh, 20, followers. So merely, you know, I had 1,200 followers at the time. She was amplifying our message of 20,000 followers. Um, this was a huge win for me. And so if I could inspire any of you that are feeling like, I, this is what I want to do, this is the direction I want to go in, here's who I need to connect with, you are one LinkedIn message, one tweet, one Instagram DM, one email away. Talking about digital tools have changed the game, this is exactly what Megan Gebhardt, uh, Gebhardt did. She was a graduate of Mich Michigan State College. Has anybody heard of Megan Gebhardt? Um, so she realized, like, uh, uh, any seniors in the room? So as a senior, you know, that fall semester happens, the spring semester happens, you're like, oh crap, like I'm graduating in a couple months. I need to do something. So instead of going to the traditional job boards and traditional career fairs, she went a whole other route. So she mashed up her love for coffee and meeting new people. And I would highly recommend this to any career student affairs colleague in the room, but uh, she started 52 cups of coffee. What she did was she spent her senior year going through classes, doing extracurricular stuff, but she spent all her free time interviewing 52 different people over a cup of coffee. Uh, it started locally within Michigan, Michigan State, to then where she was interviewing people across seven different countries, from Seth Godin, who was a big kind of marketing 
uh, guru and author, all the way to um, World War II, World War II veterans and things like that. She now had 52 new connections that kept kind of growing her, her, her networking tree. Now, a couple of my stories may talk about entrepreneurship or freelancing. She actually didn't go the thought leader entrepreneurship route. She wrote a book, 52 Cups of Coffee, but what you'll notice there, and up until that I know of about two months ago, she leveraged her personal brand, her connections, and her new skill set. She's now a technical recruiter at Airbnb, which is, as you know, is one of the probably top five value companies right now in the startup ecosystem. So she has landed her foot in a great company, loving what she does, and she has a little bit personal branding side hustle to herself. Uh, so that kind of closes out this whole, there's no gatekeepers mentality. And uh, the last thing that I like to talk about is often college students, uh, we, we go to career fairs, we meet people, we go online to indeed.com, monster.com, LinkedIn, and we find these job descriptions. Oftentimes they're very black and white, they're very kind of dull, and they're like, okay, I, I, I kind of understand what you do, but I'm not excited. Uh, other times you find a job in a company that you're like, oh my God, I love what they're talking about. I love the, this, this, uh, this job application. But you really don't know, like, what is it really like to work there? And what I talk about here is uh, there's new ways to find uh, the work environment that you prefer. So clearly as students, I think one, as I go back to Nicole's quote of like figuring out what you like and what you don't like, get yourself involved obviously in organizations, leading organizations, being a member of an organization, go do the internships, et cetera. But uh, the way to find out if you like in a work environment or not, uh, these four resources. Oncube.com is a great Instagram account. I follow it daily. They're somewhat based in New York City, but what they do is they do little story, Instagram story videos, little images, carousel images of what it's like to work for some of the top companies right now in New York City. So it's a real time inside look, all done through iPhone uh, most of the time of what it's like to, to work there. Uh, the next one is themuse.com. This is a very popular blog and career website. They, they do jobs, they do career advice. The thing that I like and the way I kind of describe it, it's like Airbnb for companies. And what I mean by that is you can go on to, you know, what is it like to work at National Geographic or Airbnb? And they will give real-time photos and little videos and like actual headshots of like, this is Bill, this is Janice, this is Karen, and they are, these are gonna be people that you work for. Real bios, uh, real pictures of what it's like to work there. Glassdoor, I'm sure a lot of you have heard of Glassdoor. I refer to it as the Yelp uh, of, of uh, job searching. A lot of it on there is bashing a company. Oftentimes people leave there because it wasn't a fit or they got fired. What I like about Glassdoor for all the college students here in the room is if you get an opportunity to interview with a company, go on Glassdoor, type them in. I think you might have to link up your LinkedIn account, but it'll actually say like what the culture's like and what the interview process is like. That's the biggest piece of advice I would offer. You know, how long you can expect to be there, who you're gonna meet with, what type of questions they're gonna ask. Uh, so Glassdoor is great. And the last one is I work out of the WeWork ecosystem. WeWork is a large international co-working space. There's tons of small businesses, large businesses popping up in the WeWorks around the world. And uh, I highly recommend checking out what's happening in the WeWork ecosystem as well. Uh, and you can do that through Instagram geotag search, which I'm gonna talk about here. Um, so three ways that I would utilize Instagram geotag search is companies like CVS uh, Healthcare, which I know is a big, um, company uh, right here now in, in Providence, Rhode Island, 
I searched them last night and a whole stream of pictures comes up of like what the work culture is like, what they're doing on a daily basis. You can get a snapshot of like what the office not only looks like, but what people, you know, what they do and how they love their job. HubSpot is another big company in Boston. Uh, you can do the same thing there. Uh, again, WeWork has probably 200 offices around the globe. You can search every single WeWork and you might discover that there's a company that you would love to work for there. Um, but I really think Instagram geotag search is an underutilized technique or tactic for uh, college students. Clicker, don't fail me now. Almost done. All right, cool. Uh, last but not least, before we start to kind of wrap this presentation up, is the third one I like to talk about is take risk and dive into discomfort. That's kind of uh, a no-brainer, and it's often said, right, to push your comfort zone. If it wasn't for me pushing my comfort zone uh, my sophomore year of college, uh, that a lot of what I talked about of like my extracurricular experiences of why I shifted my whole resume and career around was uh, I was told that I was a leader. Uh, I was an orientation leader, actually. I know Mike does orientation. I was an orientation leader for about 10 weeks. Uh, I was, again, shy little kid, didn't know that I was an actual leader. And I went in for my like, peer evaluation with two associate directors and a dean, and I was scared out of my mind. Like, I've never done an actual like, performance review. I don't know what they're going to say. And they said, Kevin, do you know that you're a leader? And that was probably one of my first moments. I'm like, wow, I'm actually going to then run for president of the marketing club. I'm going to start this. I'm going to start that. I'm going to join this. Uh, and that was a way of me pushing my comfort zones within a kind of safe setting of a college environment. Uh, this last personal story I have uh, is of a friend, Amanda Morrison. Her and I went to Fairleigh Dickinson University together. She was a student athlete. She also was very involved on campus. Um, she went right out of school. She was thinking pre-law. She got a job doing paralegal, and then she went to work for Associated Press, one of the largest uh, media companies in New York City. She then got attached with like copyright law and imagery and things like that. And Believe it or not, like those three, you know, thriving, challenged, and invincible, she at most times felt like she had found her passion. So she loved what she did. But she said, hey, I got to take a risk here. I'm about 29 years old. I, I live in a metropolitan city. And what I have up here is the founder of Don't Sit Home. Her personal life started to kind of creep into her like entrepreneurial and entrepreneurial side because she would go on all these dates and all these guys would say, there's nothing to do in New York City. And she's like, you've got to be kidding me. Don't sit home. Ha one hashtag, one post led to another. One thing led to another. Z100, a, a large station, picked her up, uh, like a, a, a picture. She got like 100 followers from that, 1,000 followers. If you look up hashtag don't sit home or at don't sit home on Instagram or Facebook, I think she's upwards of like 15,000 followers. She basically started this on the side got so kind of big and into it that she had to go into her boss's office of a, of a boss she loved, a career she loved, and said, peace. And she ripped off the Band-Aid, and she went out on her own. The sad, sad, bad thing is like three weeks later, I think she had health insurance, please, I think, she got like run over by a taxi cab or foot. So like all of a sudden, she's like, I pushed myself, I'm going to go work for myself, and then like that setback happened. But she, she uh, you know, she persevered. A uh, handful of years later, she's about... I'm on my own three and a half years. I think she's been, on her, she's been working for herself four and a half years. She is disrupting Time Out Magazine, event marketing, event planning, any new restaurant, bar, or event. They are, she is one of the top 100 people that are invited. 
She also does some like concierge services for like when people come to town, she plans their experiences. Uh, it's a really cool new endeavor for her. But she, again, was somebody that was in a really good spot and said, I'm going to push my comfort zone and go work for myself. I've been talking about, this is a little bit new for me, um, and what I'm kind of I'm seeing. Uh, I also teach at George Washington University. I've sat in some Gen Z panels, uh, and I see so many students, both first-year students to graduate students, come. And if you really think about the education system, for those 12, 15 years, we, we say, this is what you have to do to earn an A. This is what you have to do to get to the next grade. This is what you have to do, this is what you have to study to get 100 on the exam. And the reason I have this slide up here is the real world, for any of you know, is not that black and white. And the, the quote that I like to kind of share and pass on is Sheryl Sandberg said that your career is not a corporate ladder or a ladder, it's a jungle gym. And oftentimes we, we, we need to realize that it's not going to be, your boss is not going to tell you what you have to do, how many hours you have to work, where you have to go, where you have to be, what you have to learn to get to the next level. Yes, there's that 1% of companies that will train you and, and advance you, uh, but it's really up to you. And that jungle gym mentality is there's going to be times where you swing and you fall and you got to get back up. There's going to be times that you swing and you might go start from the bottom again. Uh, there might be times that you actually advance your career and maybe leapfrog what you thought you could do. Uh, and so I really want to kind of package this up and leave you with that your career is not black and white. There's no traditional route of how you have to go, have, have to climb the ladder of success, however you define that. It comes back to my story. Um, that day in July, if I didn't, again, unconventionally, like my parents did what they were supposed to do, work a corporate job, all this stuff, but it wasn't for that moment in July 2006 that I was like, this doesn't feel right, I'm gonna take a risk, I'm gonna do something different, uh, but more importantly, I wasn't going to be defined by my marketing major. Yes, marketing is still a very big chunk of my brain and my heart and what I do, but I wasn't going to be defined by that. And so upon graduation, I want you to realize uh, whether you're a first-year student or you're just about ready to graduate is please don't be defined by, by your major. If there is something you feel, if you do feel very excited and passionate about, then go do it. But the minute that it doesn't feel right, please Please do something that, that will redefine what you, what you want to do. And so I leave you with this is, is, I have one question to conclude this presentation, is what is one thing that you will do for the next 10 months in 2018 that will redefine your story? Thank you. All right, everybody, that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much if you've gotten this far. Uh, thank you for listening. Listen, um, everybody does it. Uh, every, every podcaster says it. Yeah, like, subscribe, rate, etc. I'm not looking to, uh, to make a living off this. So really, I think the only ask that I have is just, just let me know that you're listening. Let me know your thoughts. Uh, favorite a tweet if, if uh, you see me promoting this or like it uh, on Facebook, LinkedIn, et cetera. Just, just let me know like, hey, I've, I've checked this out. Plan on checking it out. Uh, uh, we're checking out uh, future episodes I'm putting out, but um, if you want to subscribe, cool. Um, but I'm I'm more interested in in the handful of people that are are following along and listening to some of this audio, and again, your perspectives and thoughts on the content that I'm talking about and I'm interviewing and uh, that I'm sharing. So that's all I ask. Until next time, thank you so much, and we'll talk soon. Have a great day.